0: Ugh. So glad to get out of that dang time travel machine. Where'd you go? I went back to the 80s to grab some of that good, good sports merch from my favorite defunct franchises. I spent my life savings on that machine. You bought a time travel machine to buy sports merchandise? Yeah, gladly. You know you could have gone to 503 Sports, right? The the website? Uh, yeah, no, I didn't think of that at all. Yeah, they sell all sorts of throwback sports merch from leagues like the World Football League, XFL, UFL, and the Arena Football League, several others. Uh, oh, shoot. Yeah, they sell hats, shirts, even custom jerseys from all sorts of vintage sports teams. Oh, man, I spent, like, a lot of money on that time travel machine. Well, look, listeners of AFL Rewind get 10% off their first order by using the promo code ARENAFAN at checkout. That might help you out. Yeah, it does. Go on over to 503-sports.com and, and get your merch today. Do you know anyone who wants to buy, like, a overpriced time travel machine? No, no, sorry, I, I don't.
1: Welcome to AFO Rewind, a look back at all things arena football, sponsored by Phenom Elite. I'm your host, Tim Capper. Well, this episode, we're going to be having part two of the interview that we had with Steve Smith. Um, he is a a gentleman who has quite a bit of history when it comes to being a equipment manager and all the ins and outs of what it takes in order to uh, to run a, a team on a day to day basis. Uh, just a reminder, if you haven't listened to episode, uh, sorry, part one of this episode, uh, episode nineteen, please make sure you go back and you listen to it. But if you're already caught up, let's continue with part two of our interview with. Steve Smith, how did you? So you you have an eight year break or seven year break in between stints in the Arena Football League. What, <laughs> how how did that come about? And and what finally got you back into something that you loved so much so many years ago?
2: So in between that, uh, I was the head basketball manager for men's basketball at McNeese State University, part of my undergrad under Ron Everhart, who's now at West Virginia. Um, two seasons in the clubhouse of the New Orleans Zephyrs in 93 and 94 when we were with Milwaukee, um, two years of professional ice hockey with the New Orleans Brass in the East Coast League, um, one year as the assistant director of media relations with the New Orleans Gamblers, which was, we were in the USL, which is now uh, USL Division One okay. At that time, it was the A-League. Um, then when we changed ownership and moved to Zephyr Field, it was the equipment manager for the New Orleans Storm, our first year, or our second year in the A League in '98. Um, you know, the funny thing is, and I don't—not too many people who know me know this—but I reached out to the Texas Terra mm-hmm. in 1995 when I was an undergrad at McNeese because I was three hours away from Houston, and I'm like, okay, this is a brand new arena football team. This is my chance to get back in, um, and just nothing ever came of it. Like I think that's the year Gary and Clint play together. You know, one of the one of the number of years that Gary and Clint played together in Houston, yeah. or at least that year with the Terror. Um. You know, and I, I tried like getting in with the ter- with the te- with the Texas Terror, it just didn't work out. So I'm like, okay, you know, I guess I'm just not destined to work in arena football. Um. So in '99. It's the fall of '99, I worked at a, a, a Catholic high school and wound up going to Norwich University in Northfield, Vermont. And it was a D3 school. Um, I worked for the cadets there the first year, that the first time, the season that they won their first national championship in men's ice hockey. I and mean, that was a great team. But a couple of guys that played in the National League um, on that team. Um, and not baseball. If you're in hockey, you refer to it as the national league. You don't talk about it as the NHL. Okay.
3: Um,
2: as, as you all well know, yeah. if you're Canadian, so you know, um, and so I'm sitting, I'm sitting in my, uh, I'm sitting in our equipment room and Dana Bean was, was the guy I was working for and Beano left. And so I always did the laundry. And so this job popped up on the athletic, I was a member of the athletic equipment association. And at that point it was all email. We didn't have a website, didn't have a job for It was all done through email. And so if somebody had posted a job, um, at first I was trying to get on at Central Arkansas as the equipment as the football equipment manager when they started football up and Clint Cock was the head coach there. Um, things didn't work out. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll just keep trying. And then this job popped up with the Milwaukee Mustangs. And so I emailed Rick Frazier and the rest is history. And, you know, and so the work stoppage happened in January, in, in like late January, early February of 2000, because of the lawsuit. Yep. And, you know, work comes across the wire that, you know, Bino's like, Hey, Stevie, I don't think you're going to go to Milwaukee because you know, this is happening. And I'm like, nah, I don't worry about it. It's, it's going to go away in like two weeks. Um, and I got worried. So I called phrase. So I'm like, is there going to be a season? He's like, yeah, don't worry about it, man. You know, you're still gonna come out here, right? I'm like, yeah, coach, I'm coming. He's like, good boy, we can't wait to see y'all here. And uh, God, I love that guy. <laughs> that dude treated me like I was his son, man. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, because I know I'm gonna, I know I'm gonna get emotional talking about Rick Frazier. Um, we all do. <laughs> Anybody who worked for that man or played for him, we still love him. Um, so yeah, so uh, I wound up getting the job with the Mustangs and pack up all my stuff. And I was living in Montpelier, which is, um, where the civilian part Norwich is the, the United States, first private military institution of higher learning. Um, it was actually established before West Point and that's how West Point got their uniforms. Um, so yeah, I told you I'm a unified. I'm all about <laughs> this stuff. Um, and that uniform is based off of a, of a British colonial army uniform. So go figure. Um, History for those of you who really didn't care for it. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. Um, so I pack up my stuff and I drive across Canada. I drive across, you know, like southern Quebec and southern Ontario into Detroit and get to Milwaukee. And you know, I spend the 2000 season with the Mustangs and and just keep going from there, man. I mean, it's just a phone call. That's all it is, man. Look, yeah. it doesn't matter what it doesn't matter what industry you're in. If you like, if you're in media like yourself, if you're in coaching like I am now. Um, you know, if you have a desire to be like a chef or you want to be a CEO or something, you got to start someplace. Yeah. And the biggest thing is like, if you don't pick up the phone, if you don't send an email, if you don't try to reach out, if you don't have any gumption or like one, to to try to pursue what it is you're after, there's no point in going after it. And I wanted to get back into arena football. And I wanted to get back into football because I was like kind of burnt out on hockey. I had enough of it after almost three and a quarter full calendar years of it. Yeah. I'm just like, you know, I'm I'm ready to get back into football. And so, you know, I, I pursued it. So that's, it, you know, you just you got to go after what you want, man. And that's that's exactly what I did. So,
1: what were the differences between the the Mustangs and the night organization?
2: We had money. <laughs> we had money and we had better players. Yeah. Um, we had better coaching. Um, we had a great We had a, a, God, the Bradley center, those folks, let me tell you what, man, those folks at the Bradley center were, they were, you know, as the kids say, they were a one. I mean, they were top notch. They, they treated us just as well as they treated the bucks or the admirals. They didn't treat us like second class citizens, like some other places that I've been in my career. Um, the Brownley Center was fantastic. We had a, a fantastically awesome fan base. Um, you know, and working for the Velazis as owners was not easy because they were not the easiest people in the world to deal with. Right. The thing that the thing that made it easy though, Tim, was working for Rick Frazier. Working with Rick Frazier, Will Reed, Bob Lancey, uh, Tom Porris, and Terry Stringham. And as our coaches, yeah. And you talk about just like, I got Will was my roommate and Will had a, a long history in arena football league. I mean, he had, you know, he was with the, the city Hawks for a little while. You know, he was with, I think the, I think he's with a couple other teams too, before uh, finally coming to Milwaukee and, and coaching for Rick for a long time. He was our assistant head coach. You know, he was also our, kind of like our operations guy on top of everything else. and, uh, we did everything first class, you know, with the with the Mustangs from travel to the hotels we stayed on the road. I mean, we really did it. We really did it. Like that was my my first like exposure. Like if I was never gonna, um, and I knew at some point in my early on in my career I was, I was never gonna go to the NFL, and this was the closest I was gonna get to it because like the way we think, the way we did things in Milwaukee, like. That was just the way, and even the way we the way we did things in Tampa Bay too in in two thousand one with with Tim, and I'll get to that in a few minutes. I mean, just working with those guys, and, and I can't, I'd be remiss if I left out Mike Rebar, who was our, our athletic trainer, and a great dude as well, and, and working with them. And you know, we we had a, a great setup in Milwaukee, man. Yeah. I mean, we like our training camp was done in the Milwaukee Arena, like right across the street, and it was actually in the auditorium because we couldn't go in the Mecca, um, because UWM was still playing their home basketball games in there at the time. Okay. Um, but, you know, having having the Milwaukee Auditorium and being able to practice in there and kick in there <laughs> was definitely and I and I always film practice so to be way up there by myself and and, uh, and experience that and, and doing all the things we did in Milwaukee and, and starting off that season at two and seven and finish the season finishing the season on a seven and two run winning five in a row um, at one point, you know, and just being a part of that in the practice, you know, our practice facility down in Franklin at the Milwaukee County sports complex that was indoors. So we were very fortunate. We never practiced outside in Milwaukee, not once. I think, no, we practiced outside once, like literally once the rest of the time. Like we practiced on the original field that we had at the Browley center because we all had to switch over to the Sportex fields in 2001, which is now Shaw. Um, so we practiced on our old field, and it was just fantastic, man. It really, really was. From our meal deals to just being around with the guys, and we had a great group of guys there too. Um, you know, I mean, man, it's just like when I look back on my career, like I think. That 24 months I had back to back in the, in the AFL with Milwaukee and Tampa Bay. I think those were two of the best years of my career, man.
1: Luckily this time it only took you 3 games to win your very first as a professional. <laughs> <laughs> but it it was at, yeah. but luckily for you, I mean it wasn't at home, but still it was up against one of the you know best rivalries at that time, you know Grand Rapids and Milwaukee along with Chicago, etc. Um Yeah. And you knock them off in overtime at Van Andel. That's the thing,
2: man. I, I tell you what: for as much as I hate Orlando, is as much as I love Grand Rapids. Yeah. Like I, like Jeff Henderson Hendo was the equipment guy there. And if you ever get a chance to get a hold of Hendo and get him on here, man, you think I got some stories? Hendo Hendo been around the he had been around arena, arena football one year earlier than me because he was on the equipment staff in, in Charlotte in 91, mm-hmm. okay? So, or something like that, I think. Anyway, um, going to Van Andel and playing against Grand Rapids was fantastic. Like, it is, like you talk about an atmosphere. I mean, the way that building was set up, it was set up perfect because, like, for hockey, if you're a hockey fan, like, of, of the A, if you're a fan of teams in the A, like, you... If you wanna go experience like a great American Hockey League game, you gotta go watch the great you gotta go watch Grand Rapids play. Mm-hmm. They fill that building up. And it don't matter what time of year, it don't matter who they're playing, they fill that place up. And I tell you what, man, I mean, it was loud. You would have thought that you went a stadium full of a hundred thousand people being in that joint, man. And
1: people just need I to mean, go was, look man, at uh, at Arena Bowl fifteen. And they'll know. Yes, I was there
2: too. Yeah. I was there. I was there. Um, I, I, I was Annie Lepushnik, who was our media relations guy. Um, Annie and, and his then girlfriend and, and I, we we went we went up there. Um, and I was hoping that I was going to win the equipment manager of the year award because we didn't know who was going to win it. <laughs> I'm like hoping to get something, get get some award. At least I got a free dinner out of it, yeah. <laughs> um, and a ticket to the game, <laughs> a ticket to the game. Um, but. Yeah, I mean playing there. I mean, like if if you want to see what it was like, like just watch some of the grand, watch some of the ramp, the rampages games. Man, I tell you what,
3: oh yeah,
2: um, the, the post game meals there were terrible because it was Subway. But you know, whatever.
1: <laughs> it's the Arena Football League, Steve. Come on, man.
2: <laughs> hey, man, look. Oh, look. When you go back to '92 and that deal that we had with Little Caesars, where we got like. And it was 24 double-doubles, right? So we got two pizzas. We got like 24 boxes of Little Caesars pizza. And I would always go home with at least like two or three boxes of pizza after every home game or we would take it to the post-game party. So, you know, it was kind of crazy like that. But anyway, yeah, man, going against Grand Rapids was great.
1: When Mike Illich is, you know, one of the major guys, major money in the league at that time, and that's his restaurant, hey, of course you're going to get pizza pizza.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Totally. Um
1: what, so, was, the, what yeah. was what was the locker room like compared to compared to New Orleans? I mean, it's a better it team. It's, <laughs> obviously it's a better team. You know, you have I mean, you got a young Matt D'Arazio, man. You got Kevin McDur. Oh my god. Your, let me your, tell your, you what. As your man, quarterback, I mean, it's and you have oh, you have gosh. the great Gary Compton and many others. But what what was this locker room like?
2: Oh uh, man, let me tell you what. To this day, Gary Lee Compton and I are friends. I babysat his two sons at practice all the time. Okay, I don't care what those two rugrats tell. I don't care what they look like now. They're still going to be little kids to me in my head. <laughs> um, having Lincoln Coleman, a veteran, a Super Bowl veteran, Terry Grooms, Sean Riley. I mean, I could, I could Hugh Hunter. I mean, I could go on. And Richard Young at Atlas, the Bone himself. I mean that was a great locker room, man. I mean, it was just, <laughs> you know, the thing about it is, is like, I don't, it didn't matter where, you know, what our record was at the beginning of the season or the end of it. Like our guys stayed the same and it's a testament to like how we stuck together as a team. It's a testament to Rick and our staff. Um, it, they, they kept us together, you know? Um, And our guys like, you know, Sean Riley, Gary Compton, you know, Matty D., you know, uh, Kevin McDougal. You know, I mean, I mean, Lamont Cooper, probably mm-hmm. the greatest kick returner in the history of arena football. By the way, and the smallest too, because he's like two foot two. He's like the size of a Smurf, like four four apples <laughs> high. Um, oh, Lamont was great. People though, man, he was. He really was. I love Coop. Um, we had a. Gr- I mean, it was just our team chemistry was fantastic. I mean, to if you wanted to, it uh, you really can't compare our 92 team in New Orleans to our 2000 team in Milwaukee, or even the 2001 team that was on in Tampa Bay. Cause it's just, it's three different locker rooms and it's really, it really goes to the culture that we had built, um, the accountability that we had, because it was really, you know, it was really more, um, a, it was really more player accountability than it was a coach. It was really like a player led culture as opposed to a coach led culture. Yeah. Um, you know, we have really good player leadership in the locker room. We were really loose. Um, if I tell a Terry Groom story about our last home game, he may punch me through Facebook, so I'm not going to tell it. <laughs> um, it has something to do with, uh, with his undergarments. that I could see through his white game pants when he sweated. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Um,
1: it still happens today yeah. in football. So, people, you don't need to cover your eyes. Don't yeah, worry about it.
2: <laughs> yeah, Yeah, don't worry about it. it yeah, Terry wore leopard skin. Yes. He thought it was cool. Anyway, um, that, that was Terry. He's a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jeff Savage was on that team too. I mean, we had, um, and I know I'm forgetting a whole bunch of guys. Oh, you, you uh, had the, the great Steve Midtech. You had, uh, oh Tech, Craig Moore. Yeah. Uh, Tech was awesome too. By the way, uh, Craig Moore, Hugh Har- um uh, uh, Doug Lytle.
1: Yeah, Alvin. Oh, Ashley. Dougie.
2: Alvin Ashley, oh, Alvin was awesome. He was great. He was, he's 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 good. He's good people. And the crazy thing is, like a lot of these guys, I'm still like I'm not like super friends with them, you know. But I mean, we still keep in contact on Facebook. You know, as soon as I saw that our Arizona game pop up, I like put the link on Facebook and like everybody that I'm that it was I uh, was affiliated with, like Mike Rebar, even even my um, my best friend Howard Schumacher, who was our director of sales at the time. Like even Howard popped in and uh and you know made comments on on the game and everything. I mean you know the thing about it is like we sit and sometimes talk about it like oh and um uh, Herb Duncan was on our team too. Golly Herb Duncan man that dude was awesome. <laughs> um especially when we went out to Arizona, it was like he was like the king of Phoenix. Like he knew everybody. Mm-hmm. He's in real estate too now by the way. He's really good at that. So we need to look him up. Um but I mean it's just You know, when I, when I look back, like really our 2000 team, when it comes to football, like our 2000 team in Milwaukee and our 2001 team in Tampa Bay, I mean, especially more so our team in Milwaukee. And 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 I'm probably pretty sure I'm going to piss off some of my teammates from Tampa Bay. Um, But, you know, when I, when we talk, when our guy, when the guys like us from Milwaukee talk to each other, I mean, it's almost like we never left the locker room, man, you know? Uh, and the respect that they gave, the the way that they treated me, you know, the, the way that they treated me and the the way that they respected me, um, you know, it, it was one of those things where it's just like it's never gone away. Um, you know, i mean, sure you know family has its dust ups here and there, but that's just family. That's what happens. Right. But you know, I mean, when we we talk about that 2000 season in, in Milwaukee. I mean, it's like we just walked out the locker room and played last week. You know, it's that, it was that good. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I mean, I uh, I, yeah. And, and I love working for man, Rick Fraser, dude, I gotta tell you, when we went back, when I was with Tampa Bay and we went back to Milwaukee in 2001 and I was having a really tough time, you know, dealing with Tim, <laughs> <laughs> I think Tim and Rick, I think Tim and Rick talked because um, they did talk because they were friends. I mean, they, they coached Duke cobalt together in Texas. So, um, you know, Rick pulled me up, Rick, Rick, sat me down on the field and and we talked for about 15 minutes and it wasn't so much like a, a coach to an equipment manager. It was more like a, a dad talking to his son. Right. And, um, those of us who worked for Rick or played for him, uh, you know that's the way he was with us that's the way he was with his coaches um that's the way he was with his own kids you know um talk, he's, he was he was a really 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 Timmy's a really good football coach but he was a better man mm-hmm. and uh yeah there's uh Sometimes you know, like we talk when we talk on Facebook, and you know, a memory will come up, and we'll talk about Fray, and you know, <laughs> it's like he's still with us, man. You know, um, just a hell of a guy. He really was a really good football coach, too. Um, we had some good times going out. You know, like night before games. You know, we would go out together when we were on the road. Like when we played in uh, we played in L.A. against the Avengers in first season you know, we went out as a staff the night before that game. And, um, that was, I think our first or second one of the two, I think that was our first or second one, second one of the 2000 season. Um, you know, just not talking about football, not worrying about practice stuff, you know, none of that, just being a bunch of guys, being a bunch of friends, hanging out and just, you know, socializing over food and, you know, at a sports bar (laughs) across the street from the most expensive hotel in downtown LA. Um, (laughs) <laughs> hey, it's it, Casey Wasserman on the hotel. So it was great. Um, the Wyndham checkers will never forget it. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, that was a really, it was a great experience. And like the playoff, our playoff game at Tampa Bay that year was just brutal. I mean, <laughs> you know, Three, three weeks before that, we beat them handily, and they didn't lose too many games at home. You know, at the Ice Palace. Now, Emily, they did not lose too many games at the Ice Palace, but we beat the living crap out of them. And then come back, you know, three weeks later in the second, uh, first, first round of the playoffs, and lose. I think like we lost like 72-68 to them or something crazy like that. We had a, and we had uh, a 14-point lead like midway through the fourth quarter, and then they came back, and then. You know, it was just like the locker room after that game was just real emotional. I mean, Chris Velazzi was in there with us. I mean, we were just all, you know, if you want to see a bunch of grown men cry, you know, that'd be the place to do it. You know, it was, it's heartbreaking because it's like, okay, you know, it's like, this is the end. It's over with, you know, you'll never have this team again. And, um, you know, that's the nature of professional sports, you know, is that. You know, you'll, you never have the same team twice. You can win a super bowl. You could go all in 16. If you're in the NFL, you know, you'll never have the same team twice. Right. And, you know, it, you know, I, I wish, I wish that we had the opportunity to play for a championship that year. Cause we were really talented. We really, really were. I mean, you know, nobody knew how good Matt DeRozio was going to be. You know, we were just this goofy kid from Oberlin college that just shows up to practice one day. And he, you know, he, withdraw some school just so we could go, you know, follow the dream of being a professional football player. And luckily for him, he went to a liberal arts school. So it was okay. And he were on the quarter system. So all he had to miss was a quarter of school, um, you know, <laughs> and, <back laughs> oh, shit! okay. So we're playing, we're playing at the back half of the season and uh, we're playing, uh, we're in, we're in Raleigh against the Cobras and, I think we're up. I can't remember how much. It just seems like we were up by like a million points at halftime. <laughs> and Rick puts Matt in. He pulls Kevin for. He pulls Kevin because at this point we got the game in hand. And he pulls Matt. He puts Matt in. He tells Matt. He tells Porus. Tom Porus, who was our OC, um, the singing quarterback, by mm-hmm. the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he t- and Rick tells Tom at halftime. He's like, Tom, don't throw the ball, okay? And this was going. This was coming out for the second half. We get the kickoff, and uh, I think the ball went through the slack net and out of bounds. So we get the ball first, and we get the ball first, and ten at the three, and at the five. And so t- in the locker room, I remember Rick telling Tommy, "He's like, Tommy, do not throw the football. Uh, we're putting that DeRozio kid in. I don't trust his arm. Uh, don't, 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 don't throw the ball. We're up by a hundred points. I like Coach K. I want to keep him, my friend. Don't, don't, don't throw the football." I mean, we got enough points. Let's just run the ball. We'll run the clock, and you know, we score, we score. But don't let – sure enough, Matt, like, drops back, throws a touchdown pass. <laughs> <laughs> Frazier goes, get on the sideline, boy. Don't get back on the field. But Dougal, you're going back in next series. That's it. You're not – I think it was the last time Matt saw the field. That season. <laughs>
1: That's hilarious.
2: <laughs> now- oh, man, but yeah.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty, uh, pretty, it's pretty a bit of foreshadowing that you lose Tampa Bay in the playoffs, and you end up in Tampa Bay the next year. How yeah. how'd that come about? Because obviously Milwaukee had one more year left in the year, uh, in their history for the in, in uh, for the Mustangs before they folded. Yeah, how did you end up uh, a leaving the Mustangs and b ending up with Co- Coach Markham over in Tampa, Coach Markham.
2: You know what? I honestly cannot remember. <laughs> <laughs> I, really don't re- I really don't remember. Um, no, actually, you know what? I kind of do. Okay. So after I got done with the Mustangs, I needed a job. I wanted, I didn't want to go back to the Wallace, and I wanted to keep the train rolling. So I kept applying for jobs and applying for jobs, and I wound up at the University of Virginia. Um and so I go, and I literally the day after I left Milwaukee, the day after I got uh, completed everything that I needed to do and checked out of my apartment, um, I packed up my car and started heading south, like I was going home to New Orleans. And I got to just outside St. Louis, and accepted my job at UVA, and then turned east, drove through the Ville, out to out to um, to Charlottesville, and, and worked at UVA. So in the course of the 2000 football season. Which, by the way, uh, Matt Schaub was our backup quarterback. He just retired, and he still is a tall, skinny kid with no hair. But anyway, I digress. Um, so, in the, during the course of the 2000 season, I'm like, you know what? I want to go back to our arena football. So, I kept in touch with Hendo, and he's like, um, he's like, yeah, you know, Tampa Bay's looking for an equipment guy. I'm like, Tampa Bay, like seriously? He's like, yeah. Like, here, I'll give you Markham's number. You call him. So I picked up the phone and I called Tim. And I was like, you know, I was kind of nervous. Cause I knew Tim, you know, back from, you know, if you're a fan of, if you're a fan of arena football, mm-hmm. you have like the utmost, it's almost like Lombardi, like respect for, for Markham. Yeah, um, cause he's basically like the, you know, he's basically like the, the Vince Lombardi and the Bill Walsh of arena football. um, there's a great, I got a great story about that too. Um, so I call up coach, I call up Tim and I go, Hey, you know, I hear, you know, I'm looking for, I was with Milwaukee. He's like, you were Milwaukee last year? I'm like, yes, sir. Oh, wait, I'll call Freeze and talk to him and I'll ask him about you and we'll get back in touch. So, you know, naturally Tim calls Rick and Rick, you know, just rants and raves about how good I was in in Milwaukee and Tim hires me over the phone. And so I accept my job, um, give my notice at UVA, I finish the season. And then a week after um, the Commonwealth Cup, I pack up and go home to New Orleans for about two months just to hang out and chill. And then uh, drive down to Tampa and uh, become a member of the storm. Cool.
1: It's it's funny how things worked out for you, eh? <laughs>
2: yeah. You know, I mean, it's just amazing how this, this stuff keeps falling. <laughs> it's, it's, it's stuff keeps falling in my lap, man. I mean, you know, it just, it's just—it's crazy that way. And I—I I look forward to it. I'm like, I get to go back. I get to go back in the Arena Football League, which is what I love to do at the time, and still love and. You know, i got to go work for the greatest <laughs> I got to go work for the Vince Lombardi of Arena Football, so I can't complain about that too much.
1: And be a uh, be an employee of what basically was a team from the original four. Uh and and yes. still to this day. You know, one of the uh one of the franchises in Arena Football Lake history.
2: Yes. Yeah, uh, and uh, I wouldn't say it's one of the franchises. I it's it's the franchise. Okay. I mean Look, realistically, you know the 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 storms like the Green Bay Packers. Mm -hmm. I mean, the storm are the Green Bay Packers of arena football. There's no two ways about it. I mean, with the history that we had, and I can say we because I was part of it. You know, the history that we had. You know, prior to coach, you know, winning an arena bowl in our first year of existence in '91. You know, and then winning the arena bowls like we did in, in the mid and late '90s with Tim. You know, take you know being a being a part of that and. You know, and then, you know, the subsequent arena bowls that they won, you know, uh, after I left and, um, you know, I mean, it was just, you know, I don't think there was a, I don't think it was a, a franchise. I don't think it was a franchise and, and Predators fans can say what they want, but they don't, you know, you look at the facts, who has more rings, Tampa or Orlando? Okay. <laughs> For that's my case.
1: I'm sure, uh, I'm sure fans in Philadelphia or San Jose will want to have a say, a say in that also, right? And Arizona, nah. and Arizona. <laughs> nah.
2: No. no, it don't count. They're in a different league now, and Arizona doesn't count.
1: Um, you, I mean, you, you're, you know, you move on to your third team, but this is your best start. You guys start off as with seven and zero that year, or 8-0? 7-0. You eight and 7 and zero. You We
2: started, we started off eight and zero. Man, let me tell you what. You talk about fun, man. That was a. <laughs> brother that was a hell of a run that we had i mean we we there we couldn't do anything wrong those first eight weeks the closest loss the closest it, it was eight week eight or nine i think that's when we we won our eighth game in a row it was a monday it was a monday evening game against the the um the florida bobcats larry Kuherick, i think was the head coach there um Brian Barmas was their equipment guy. He's now the equipment guy at Davidson in Charlotte. And Gunnar Twiner, who eventually would Gunner, GT played for the Saints because he I know because he came he came to us with his New Orleans Saints shoulder pads, and I called Chief, and he was like, "Don't worry about it. It's all good." Um, so GT came to us, and I think that week and. He basically caught the last two touch. <laughs> he caught the last two touchdowns of the game to put us ahead, and like we—that was probably our worst. The worst game we played in that streak. Um, it was. It, it was. It was. It was a good season. That was. That was a good start of the season, man. Mm. It really was. What uh, the finish was kind of rough. <laughs>
1: I, I asked you this like, for the, for your other teams. What what was it like for this locker room? Because as you said, all all teams are different. But what was this locker room yeah. like?
2: Well, it was, you know, it was, it was the most veteran laden locker room. I mean, you know, when you look at what we had, if you look at our roster in Milwaukee in 2000, we had a, a good mix of, of young guys and veterans, you know, Gary Compton was kind of like our Gary and Lincoln, um, you know, Sean and Alvin, you know, they kind of, they kind of led us a little bit cause they were more so the veterans, you know, Doug was just a rookie that year coming from Shandron state and, um, you we know, Craig Moore, he came to us from Mississippi state, uh, you know, um, and Joe Carollo who played at Oklahoma, <laughs> big red, um, you know, and then you go into that locker room in, in, in Tampa, you know, we have Robert Goff, who was an NFL veteran. We have, um, we have Nile Wyron, John Caleo, who was an arena football veteran. I mean, he played in St. Louis for crying out loud, yeah. Vampede, you know, so Kaleo had been around for a while. You know, we had a lot. We had a, a lot of veterans in that room. I mean, if you look at the the veteran talent. I mean, and Pete. We had eight or nine guys that played in the had played in the league at one point. I mean, Robert, you know, Pig Golf was, you know, one of them. And I know Pig because he played for the Saints and played at the University of Pittsburgh. You know, um, you know, we just we were so talent laden. we were so good and that, that eight game streak was so, so good. Mike Black, who was our kicker. Um, and I learned a lot about as crazy as it sounds, um, breaking in footballs, working with Mike every week. And I learned a lot about kicking with him. Um, and you know, he, as a matter of fact, last night he was, Mike's been in the booth with Chris Fowler and them with on ESPN for about 20 years now. Um, you know, and, and Mike was doing that when he was kicking for us in Tampa Bay. Um, you know, probably in my opinion, I mean, how lucky can I get, you know, I got Steve Veditek in 2000 and I got Mike Black in 2001, mm-hmm. two of the greatest kickers and, you know, and then Howard, who's like my best friend know, and, and Gary, they know Kenny Stuckey, you know, Kenny Stucker and Stucker is a really good kicker himself. So, you know, i got real fortunate. Um, but yeah, I mean, to see, you know, Kaleo and then Shane's emergence, you know, with our team in Tampa Bay and in 2001, you know, I mean, it was just two completely different locker rooms. Like the vibes were different because, you know, like in Milwaukee, we were just kind we were kind of young and, you know, a little bit loose and that's because that's how Fraze was. And,
3: right.
2: you know, in Tampa Bay, you know, I mean, it was, you know, it, we act, you know, it was, you were playing for Tim. Yeah. <laughs> So, with as many veterans as we had, you know, again, I have to equate it to playing for like Lombardi or Walsh or Shula. I mean, it's like, okay, you respect the guy, and, you know, when he says jump, you don't say, you don't, you just go, okay. And you just start jumping until he tells you to stop jumping higher, you know. Um, Is that the type of of aura
1: that that Coach Markham had? Because as I said, unfortunately, I never got to meet him. Um,
2: Yeah. I mean, if you, if you, if you, if you ask guys that played for him in, in, um, you know, if you ever come across guys that played for him in Detroit or Denver and, you know, anybody that was on his Tampa Bay teams like Gary was or Shane, um, yeah, I mean, there was an aura about Tim, you know. It wasn't one of these things where it was his ego was, you know, a lot of time, you know, I'm sure some people will say that Tim had a huge ego. Yeah, he had a huge ego, but the man deserved it. I mean, he won national championships at the junior college level. In the, the late 70s, you know, um, you know, he coached in the USFL. He coached in the World League. He won championships in the both of those. He won championships there, you know, and he won a bunch of Arena Bowl titles. Yeah. So, that, that, you know, yeah, the guys won more football games than probably a collection of NFL head coaches combined at this point. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and Tim's the answer to a trivia question. Like, you know, there's... At one point, Tim was the only active head coach in professional football that was in two halls of fame while still being the head coach of the team. Yeah, so there's that. You know, he was in the Arena Football Hall of Fame before he uh, before he retired and and passed away, and he was in the and he's in the Junior College Hall of Fame. So, you know,
1: you have to tell me about because you mentioned earlier in the in the in our interview. Talking about the infamous all white uniforms for the Tampa Bay Storm.
2: Oh, man, I love that.
1: How the hell did those come about? Because I can, I mean, I think I've seen it a couple of times, if I remember correctly.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That was um,
1: but, you know, again, people think monochrome, we're different these days. But, you know, we, I mentioned it before monochrome back in the early 90s. Mm-mm, no, it was not, uh, you know, the late, uh, you don't think of monochrome uniforms in pro sports. But right. these days, it's in every sport, seems to be. But mm-hmm. how how did you come up with—because, again, you, you, it's something you're in charge of. How did you come up with the idea? You say, you know what? Let's go all white this week.
2: I didn't. That was Tim. Oh, was it? Yeah. Tim, I, I had—with as much freedom as I have with uniform—like, in Milwaukee, I really didn't have much of a choice. Right. I mean, it was purple over white at home, white on white on the road. That was it. Yeah. Right? You know, with New Orleans, I had my three choices. Um, but I had the choices. And I got to Tampa. Nope. Had to run everything through Tim. Because remember, he's the GM, the director of football operations, yeah. owner, and head coach. Yeah. And offensive coordinator, and quarterback coach, and wide receivers <laughs> coach, best coach. All around great guy. Aficionado of Vaca everywhere. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, Tim liked, Tim liked the all-white, but Tim also liked the damn gold pants. <laughs> hated those damn gold pants. <laughs> we put those things on, and we lost so bad. And Tim's like, Steve, don't ever put them damn pants out again. I'm like, you got it, Coach, because I hate them things. <laughs> um, so I really hated those pants. Jesus, those pants were terrible. Like, Why would you think the gold pants would look good with that uniform? like why it just it just didn't it just it just didn't it was so bad like I was like no I didn't uh, the gold sweater vest too uh Tim was a big sweater vest guy he was um, but yep. again yeah but again all those were <laughs> all those were Tim's decisions like what the helmet looked like what uniforms we wear you know um he let me order some gear <laughs> that I could design but some T-shirts for the players, but that was about that was about the extent of it. Okay. The rest of it was all him.
1: But it, this is just this one of the situations where it didn't matter to you because this said you you'd had so many different roles and being able what you could do. Just being in Tampa Bay under Tim, it really didn't matter. You were there. You're in Arena Football again, and you're still in Arena Football, and it was just a matter of
2: it, it,
1: you were there yeah, to, to, just, just to do it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. It was, it was a lot of long days. I mean, you know, the thing about it is, is like with the storm, you know, we practiced outside in the heat. Luckily we practiced in the morning and we practiced on our old field on the elephant lot. That's next, that's in between the Marriott and Amelie arena mm-hmm. next to the, uh, next to the car park, the elevated car park. Oh, there, yeah.
1: Which, yeah.
2: Yeah. Which I had to go film on top of. I mean, I think you live in Tampa, right? So you know exactly what I'm talking about. So yeah, I mean, I used to take the elevator and take the camera up there. And I could see the rain coming before anybody else, and um, you know that practice field that our old field before we switched to the Sportex field was out there on top of the dirt, and um, it wasn't the greatest place in the world to practice because guys would get cut up if they got tackled off the turf. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it wasn't the best. It wasn't the best place to practice, but. Um, you know, the storm, we're one of, you know, the thing about it is, it's like our locker room during the season, unless there was a concert there, was permanent. Um, you know, um, and they we hardly ever had to move out of our locker room, which was great. Um, and the storm kept that locker room until they folded, um, you know, right before the demise of the league or, you know, before yeah. the, the last demise, the next to last demise of the league. Um, you know, that's the privilege that the storm has. I mean, you know, ask anybody to coach there, Ron James, anybody, and I'll tell you, I mean, you know, it's the Packers, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like playing at Emily was like playing at Lambeau. It was just like that. It was especially like in the two thousands and especially 2000s in the early two thousands, when we were really rocking, you know, putting 18, 19, thousand people in that building and being in, having it be full, you know, I mean, we had a couple of near sellouts in Milwaukee, but we had sellouts in Tampa Bay, man. And talk about a home field advantage, especially during that 8-0 roll, where I think like four or five of those games were at home, you know, and getting on that roll. And I mean, when a storm's rolling, you know, you can't it, you just ride the storm out. Yeah. <laughs> which is my favorite, one of my favorite songs of all time, yeah. by the way. <laughs> um, REO Speedwagon. And the funny thing is, they never recorded that in the studio. That was actually recorded on a tour stop in Denver. But anyway, um, two things that I know are just all stuff that's in the memory warehouse. Like just comes out when I'm having <laughs> conversation.
1: But, well, I conversation. Um, I'd be remiss yeah. if I didn't ask you. you got to tell us a Markham story. You really do. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh,
2: and I would imagine no, most of the
1: stories about Markham he'd be proud about anyways because he took a part of them. But, I mean.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, there was the one time he called me That I, I said something. Look, the thing is, is, like, he and Eddie Vowell and Mitch Matuska would always kind of powwow in a coach's office, right? Mm-hmm. And, the, like, the way we were set up at the – at the, at Emily we had our own offices in the building too. And that includes me. I like actually all the coaches shared an office Then my office was right next to the coaches. Um, and I was across from the storage room, which was also the equipment room and then Andy's office was right next to mine. So we, um, and then there was a little receptionist area where Roy Rigdon, who was our receptionist, she would sit. And she was also one of our salespeople and our ops person. Um, which is why we got really good hotels. when We went on the road because she did an awesome job. Um, the one I, I guess I, I I had said something just dumb or stupid. I had some dumb comment about something that they were talking about, and Tim pipes up and he goes, "Steve, you are the dumbest smart guy I've ever met." <laughs> and um, I look at him and I go, "Coach, I don't know whether to say thank you or f you." So f you, and well, you're welcome. Um. So, <laughs> but um, there there, there's one story that. I like telling, but I don't think I can tell. Um, even though the the dead tell no tales, mm-hmm. um, it's just it involved the trip to uh, plantation to go play. <laughs> it involved the the trip to plantation to go play the Bobcats, and if you talk to any of the players that were on that bus ride, I'm sure they'll tell you some stories. But okay. well, yeah, that's something I can't talk about. No, but no, no worries, man. Um, you know the thing about it is like. Uh, I think the the toughest memory I have, the hardest one, was um, playing Houston. Yeah, because we were listed as the we were listed as the visiting team, and you know I'm I'm sure if you talk to Goody he'll he'll probably remember this story, and I'm sure if you talk to Troy or Gov they'll remember this story too. So we were supposed to play the Thunder Bears in Amelie, but we were listed as the visiting team, so we had to wear our, our road unis and tim absolutely just outright refused to comply with the league with with the league on it (laughs) so um yeah so confusion about what color jersey to wear you know troy you know they bring they bring their blues i got the whites out and ready tim walks in the locker room and starts giving me the starts you know fussing at me about putting out the whites i'm like but this is what the league told me to do. I, I don't want us to get fined. He's like, I don't really give a flip. You do what I, you work for me, not for them. This is my building. I'm not playing a road game in my own building. Okay. So you got to give a phone with Goody and take care of all that stuff. And that's probably about the toughest memory I have. Um, like tough is just, and it was hard. Mm-hmm. That was probably my hardest home game. Um, you know, um, there were a few other stories about some things that happened like after we played at Nashville the next morning. Um, but I won't get into that, sure. but no worries. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, you know, the thing about it is, is like the things that I remember more about working for Tim was the fact that I got to learn a lot about the game and its history from him about not so much the history about like, you know, what teams play where, but about how the origin of the game came to be, mm-hmm you know, and that to me is probably the bit, you know, besides starting out that season eight, zero, and, you know, and playing for the, the division title against, against Nashville at Bridgestone. And um, that was Shane's first start as a professional football player, because of something that happened to Kaleo off the field that we week, prior weekend. Um, oh no, Kaleo was injured. I think that game, I think it was injury, but anyway, you know, Besides playing, you know, the opportunity to play for a division title um, that season, you know, get a first-round by and start out the season 8-0, the one thing I'll take away from that season, you know, more so than anything else, besides the stories about any given Sunday, because we had like seven guys that were on the team and that were in that movie,
3: yeah.
2: um, is the fact that, you know, I got to learn the history, like the, the nuts and bolts of like the origins of the offensive arena football. So, and I, I tell that story to coaches and all the time and they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, cause it's that simple, <laughs> you know? So the way, the way Tim explained it to me was that he and Daryl mouse Davis, Oh yeah. uh, man, Daryl sat down basically at one point, you know, if you look back to like the test games and stuff that, um, that G Nudo that was, was coaching in, in Chicago against Miami,
1: yeah, the showcase and game. And if
2: you took out the a, yeah, a showcase game, if you talk about it from a football standpoint, and they were playing with a four-man line, and they were basically playing like with outdoor eight-man rules on an arena field, so you kind of like saw if you're if if you're listening to this and you know anything about football, like it was kind of like they were almost like running like inside veer and stuff like that, um, basically taking like the essential eight-man game that's played throughout the country now and playing it on an arena field. At some point somewhere, Foster said that this can't be like this and we got to do something about it. And so I guess Tim and Mouse sat down someplace in Texas during the offseason and came up with the concept of the offense. And basically the offense for Arena Football is based off the run and shoot. And it was eight plays, it was eight formations that – Malison and Tim came up with, and I, I literally had this conversation with Tim one day. I said, "Coach, let me ask you, like, how did this come about? Like, how did this game get stuck? How did this come to this?" And that's, that's exactly what he told me. He said that basically, arena football is eight formations. It's not so much the formations that you that you use; it's what you do out of them. And if you can manipulate your roster and manage the game. With your players getting them on and off the field in the rotation, and using the right rod combinations with the right blocking scheme and have the right quarterback, you can be very successful coaching and calling plays at arena football. And you look at like I mean, if you think about Kurt Warner and his success in the NFL, and now he's in the, now he's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Kurt Warner doesn't become the quarterback that he does and win a Super Bowl for Dig for Meal. If he doesn't play for the John Gregory, of the Iowa Barnstormers, yeah. I got to work with coach Gregory. I got to spend a weekend with coach Gregory two years ago. And that was awesome. Cause I got to talk about arena football with him. And, you know, he and I knew a lot of the same, you know, a lot of the same people. Um, and we swapped Tim Markham stories that whole weekend. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it, the game that the game was developed, you know, simple, that's the arena football at its sim- most simplistic level. Yeah. Is it's eight plays, and it's what you do out of those eight plays that counts. And Tim more than anybody else. And I mean, it, you know, people can say, you know, Clint is a Clint. Clint was a great quarterback. He's a great dude. Um, he's going to do well where he's at now. Um, you know, <clears throat> Clint was did a really great did a really good job. You know, coaching. You know, when he did, you know, in Dallas and in Philadelphia, you don't win as much as him and not be a good coach or good play caller. But you know the thing about it is, is like it's guys like Clint and Shane and a few other offensive coordinators who have had you know lots of success in this game. You know because of what they can do out of those eight formations, and it doesn't happen without Tim Markham. And it's the same thing like, you know, the four passes that not get invented. You know, like things in, a, in the NFL don't happen without Paul Brown and or, you know, or Vince Lombardi. You know, mm-hmm. and that's kind of like what Tim was to the game. He was kind of like Paul Brown, Vince Lombardi. Bill Walsh, you know, and Bill Parcell's all wrapped up into one dude yeah. who, you know, liked his boats and he loved his kids and he loved football and he loved his social life, you yeah.
1: know. And, Good story. One I, I hadn't heard that conversation before. That's an actually to hear to hear that and just you know it's basically what's arena football? Well, eight plays. Oh, okay. Okay, thank
3: you. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that's the funny thing is now that I'm co- now you know, now that I'm coaching you know and and looking and because I have a few arena football playbooks like I have one i have the I have a Memphis sparrows playbook from like nineteen from like whatever, whenever I think it was like ninety six or something like that okay. but you know looking at the looking at that playbook and they, you know I, mean, I got a friend of mine who's in the coaching profession who's coaching at erskine um which is a startup d two program in North Carolina and he's friends with mouse and so Wayne and I got to talk. You know, I look at some of Wayne stuff, and I look at some of Mouse's stuff, and I look at the Arena Football stuff, and think about what we did in Tampa. You know, and it's just like shit. You know, Markham was right. <laughs> it really is. It it really is that simple, man. Mm-hmm. It really, really is. So, but yeah, man. Yeah, that year in Tampa was really, really good. The playoffs ended in an, ex- in an excessively crappy way, but. <laughs> um, Why did you? Um, I'll never forget that game. We what? got blown out by like. Non-gazillion points. I think Raymond Philio is still scoring touchdowns on us.
1: <laughs> um, I I had to at least ask you. You know, you you've done well for the past two years in arena football. You 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 have your your you're you're an equipment manager. You're doing what you love to do. What happened in O two? Why the why the break between leaving the AFL, so to speak, and then ending up in the Deuce?
2: Um. Well, I had gone to Macon. Um. <laughs>
3: That's oh, right, yeah. yeah.
2: So uh, so after so after the 01 season, um, I had, well, I mean, here's, okay, so here's the truth of the matter. So after the 2001 season, I had kept in contact with him. I left in September when my contract ended, and I had asked him in, throughout the course of the season, the last month or so, if I was going to come back. He never could give me a straight. He never would give me an answer. Mm-hmm. He just kind of kept me on the leash. And so I just started pursuing other opportunities. And, um, somehow, somehow I found out about the job in Macon. And at that point, um, they were, uh, oh, gosh, I can't remember the lady and her husband that operated the team, um, in Macon, but they owned a, a facility called Sportstown. It's now a church off of, uh, I-75. And, um,
1: sounds like, sounds like the pyramid in, uh, uh, in, uh in, Dash, in, 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 in Memphis, Memphis right. In Memphis is now yeah. a, uh, a in, sporting goods store. It's
2: bass pro shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a bass pro shop. I've been in it. It's freaking awesome. <laughs> um, it's really crazy. Cause I'm like, well, wait a minute, this is nuts. Cause the last time I was in this building was for a basketball game, <laughs> and now I'm shopping. At it. Okay, great. It really, it really was freaking awkward, dude. I'm telling you. Um, but the, you know, the thing is Tim is that like, I, I, I didn't like, co- like Markham, I don't know, for some reason, like, he would never give me a straight answer. He couldn't give me, he wouldn't give me an answer, period. And I kept asking him, like, in August and September, I'm like, dude, am I coming back? And he's, he would never give me an answer. And so I pursued this opportunity, and in, in SportsTown, I got to do a little bit more than operations. It was Kevin Porter's, um, I think it was either his first or second season as head coach of the Knights. Okay. And uh, Chris Siegfried was getting ready to leave to go take over, Um I think he was going to Augusta with the Stallions in their first season. Um, or I guess it may have been their only season in '02. 2 um, So I got to work with Siggy for like a month before he left. Um, and working for KP was great, but just things didn't work out. Um, and it was not so much what the team did. It was stuff that I did. Okay. Um, leave it at that. Hey, but, um, you,
1: but, but you, you were able to p- become a knight again in '02. 2 <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it yeah.
1: It may have been in the yeah. AF it may have been in the AF two, but I mean
2: but still AF two, yeah. But I tell you what, uh, the one of the craziest things that ever happened to me my in my career happened when I was with Macon in 0 in O-Tube. So um The to touch on the business side of the game for a little bit for just a second. Yeah. So the IFL existed before its current this is the fourth incarnation now of the IFL. Okay. Orlando Predators Entertainment, also known as OPE, owned the Preds and another, another team, and it operated a bunch of AF2 teams. Well, they wanted to, AF2 wanted to grow by exponentially, by the way. And so what the league decided, what OPE decided to do was like, well, the, this intonation of the IFL is going under. We'll we'll take them over because in that way we buy the rights of the teams and we can put them in AF two markets and and then now we've grown the league and we operate all these teams and can operate can control the expenses and stuff like that. Um, what people really don't realize is that the that incarnation of the IFL owned all the equipment. And when I mean all the equipment, I mean all of it. Wow. Fields, dasher pads, helmets, shoulder pads, uniforms everything. So we had just opened up sports town in Macon and we were going to practice there. We, the nights were going to, the, the nights were going to practice there. We had a, a, a grass that we had. Um, we had two full size outdoor fields side by side that I painted by hand with no lines and no stencils. And it was really straight. No, it wasn't it a was super crooked, um, but we had an indoor turf field that was like a soccer field, but we also used for flag football and was going to be our practice field. We wanted dasher pads for this. We want we needed dasher pads. Just so happened that they had a boatload of Dasher pads. So I go rent a rider truck, I go rent a a U-Haul truck and I leave from Macon at four o'clock in the morning. And I drive nonstop to Orlando to a warehouse in Orange County that contained all the IFL equipment and bought enough dasher pads to fit i sat and we figured and figured out like how many pads that we need because i got the I knew the sizes of the pads and did the math even though i'm very bad at it but i figured out how many dasher pads we could we had to use put that amount in the back of my truck and then turned around i went and ate lunch someplace and then turned around and drove right back to macon uh, back to my apartment the next morning I'm at sportstown unloading the pads we're putting the pads in the in the in the practice field that day so it comes it come to find out that uh, the team that I was running here in South Carolina a year and a half ago we go to Macon to play the team that's in our league that was in the league there at the at the Macon Coliseum yeah and some of the dasher pads were still the, were the ones that we that I bought from. That's hilarious, Orlando in 2002. <laughs> yeah, I, I I like look and I'm like, wait 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 a minute, I I recognize these. They're like, what do you mean you recognize? I'm like, dude, I bought those. <laughs> like I drove to I drove to Orlando and picked them bad boys up. And by the way, I was in my by myself in the truck. So. Can you imagine, like, wow. very little sleep, and I busted my butt, like, sweating my behind off in this, this warehouse in Orlando, loading the truck up. And the only thing I got keeping me going is, like, the wind on my face and, like, coffee and really bad music coming out of the radio if yeah. I could find a station <laughs> the, 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 the radio on the truck. But, yeah, man, see, it's, it's the things that we do for the people that we work for, yeah, exactly. I mean, come on, man,
1: you know? Yeah. Um, so.
2: How is
1: was uh, why did why did you end up leaving the knights i mean you've done so much for the for the team already and you just it just didn't work out i'm guessing
2: it. uh let's let's just say it didn't work out okay we'll leave, we'll leave it
1: at that, that. now you're, it's funny you were yeah. talking about how the basically the league the afl or, or whatever bought the ifl's all the equipment and stuff I and mean, then you for a short period of time in 03 you would go work for Doug McGregor who owns not only the Wranglers, but a ton of other teams in the AF2, but it was just a short stint. It just wasn't a right fit for you.
2: Uh, yeah, that was actually after Green Bay. Yeah. Um, oh, that's right. That's right. That's so, right. okay. I wasn't sure if that yeah, was the beginning or end. The McGregor, yeah, because there was some financial dude. I think it may have been him. I don't remember. Um. Yeah. So after after Green Bay. Um, my a guy that was I was really good friends with in college was living in Round Rock at the time. And so I went down there and it still happens that the guy that was that I worked for for the Zephyrs in the early nineties was the clubby for uh the Round Rock Express when they were a double A team. because mm-hmm. um, they were owned by Ryan but they were owned by Ryan Sports at that point still are I think. Or though no, they were. Um so I went and go work for Richie and then this guy Richie Runnels. Um and then you know, I'm sitting around and, like, trying to find a job, trying to figure out what I'm going to do, and then all of a sudden, you know, the Austin Wranglers gets announced, I'm like, well, here we go. So, you know, um, I threw my hat in the ring and, you know, talked to Glenn Milburn and a few other folks and, you know, wound up doing uh, a nice little desk in their offices there and around B-Cave and went to work and just things didn't work out. I didn't even make the season, so. Yeah. Um, that's on me though. I'm, you know, <laughs> the one thing that one thing I'm really good about is like remembering in detail, all of my failures. And I can tell you exactly where I went wrong with mm-hmm. every single step of that. And I was in this industry in this industry, that's one of my bigger regrets because, um, that was the first year that I were going into the, the Oh four season. And that was the first year of the NBC contract. And, yep. Um, we had our equipment manager meetings that year in Chicago at the league offices and, you know, Spalding, it was coming off of, um, you know, they were coming back on as the official ball manufacturer of the league. And, um, you know, they showed us the ball and at the equipment managers meetings and, you know, um, it was one of those things where, you know, it was, I was wild by, it. it was really, it was really a cool idea. And, you know, they told us that they were going to switch the slack net the rebound nets to black because you know that way fans can see them and they don't show up on TV. And um, they changed the color of the ball from you know the two color the two. Po- it, there's a really cool story about the reason why the AF the Wilson Ironman ball was that that two co- that, that that two tone. Um. So that here I'll tell you that star ball. So yeah, please the for one. Yeah. So one year, so Wilson was making the Ironman ball and they ran out of the dark brown panel because the NFL had a large run on their balls that year because they used the same, uh, they used the same leather pattern that they used for the NFL balls. Um, and they had these lighter panel ball. They had these lighter panels and this was before Wilson started making the GSP. And I think it had to do with the fact that they had a whole bunch of leather sitting around from when they used to make the USFL ball because it was a lighter color. Um, and you know Foster working in the USFL, and it looked really cool when the ball spun, and so they they did it I think just out of necessity one year, and it really people liked it, so they just kept it, and that's why the the color was that two ten, was that that two tone. Well, when they did camera tests for NBC, because they did them in Chicago, and what you know, people don't know, so NBC got the television deal with the AFL, and so they it out the Allstate Center and you know, put the field down and did the camera test and stuff and what they found out was that the cameras that they were, and this is right when the network starts switching to, to to high def and so what they found out was that the ball really didn't show up that well because it was actually kind of distracting and you couldn't see the ball against the crowd sometimes because the, the dark ball, even though it looked really cold when it spun, and the receivers even had a hard time when the ball went up in the lights and so Wilson, the, the contract with Wilson was ending. And so they turned to a couple different ball manufacturers and uh, Baden being one of them, I think, at one point, And, you know, they just, that went away. Um, and, you know, Baden for what they do and for the, the other leagues, they do a pretty good job and their, their ball's really good. It's super cheap and you can get a whole bunch of them for $200 bucks, uh, for $2,000. Um, but so, so Spalding... You know, said, hey, you know, we want to do the ball again because you know we we were the original ball of the league and we want to come back on board. And Wilson had you know really no care for it because you know at that point you know they're the official ball, of the NFL, the CFL, and college football pretty much. Yeah. In in high school, so they were like, okay, well, it's one less thing we got to worry about now, so we'll just let that go away. And Spalding wasn't too far removed from being purchased by Wilson by uh, by Russell Athletics, so. Um, you know, you had Bike, Spalding, and Russell all under one umbrella, which is why the uniform deal with Russell. Um, so they started doing color tests because remember Spalding made the ball for the, for the XFL, right? And people really like people really liked the XFL ball, but and the people in the league office liked the XFL ball with the exception of the leather that was used for it. They used some type of composite leather for the XFL ball. And they're like, no, we want a leather grain football. And so, okay, so Spalding, you know, they picked out a different, bunch of different samples. They used a bunch of different colorways, and they came up with the fact that when they did a color test with the cameras, the oatmeal ball actually showed up better on TV against the black nets than it, than any other color. They're like, okay, well, we'll keep, we'll go with the oatmeal. But now, what color do we do the stripe? So I think at one point they had had a red stripe, or they they had a red stripe sample, and they had a blue stripe. And they liked the blue stripe on TV because you could really see it spin. And so one of the little nuances that were in the balls that people I don't think really realize unless you have one is that inside of the nose, of the points of the ball, the nose of the ball, there was like a little target. So originally the target, like it was like a little X pointed inside the, painted inside the nose of the ball. And so that the idea was that when a ball goes up in the air, the receiver could spot the ball because... The target inside the nose of the ball was red, and they're like, "Well, nah, we're going to change it. Probably going probably going to change it to blue, you know, to match the color of the ball." And it just it's more economical for us that way. Right? It, it worked. You know, it worked. You know, a ball with blue laces it was the first time anybody had used any other color besides white. Or Wilson was doing the GST at that time, so they started using black laces on their GSTs. But you know, it was a it was an oatmeal ball with blue laces and a blue stripe, and you know the blue target inside with the with you know with the AFL logo, and it worked. It was really cool. I mean, I was I wish I got my hands on one of those balls before I left. But I mean, you know, sitting in the league sitting in the league meetings that year with the other equipment guys, and you know, going through it and hearing what NBC was going to do for the league, and you know, it was amazing because I think. Really, when you look at the history of the league, that was kind of like the heyday of it, more so than anything. I mean, that was the high, and that's where the, the popularity started, and the influx of the NFL money and you know the viewership on, on NBC on Saturdays and Sundays, even though the numbers were you know some people would say they were terrible, but arena football was really good, and you know the league. I think the talent in the league at that point was was really good. You know, um, the coaching was really good, the product was good. Uniforms looked good. You know, people didn't get in trouble. You know, it was it was really a good time. And you know, there one of the, yeah, that's a big regret of mine is that I, 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 you know, didn't even make it out of the off season. <laughs> <laughs> Did even I didn't even make it out of out of the birthing phase for the Austin Wranglers. So, but if I if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have gone to Green Bay in 03 That's true.
1: That's true. And, and what what was it? I mean, you've been in making before, and I've always asked this before about the other uh, how was it in green bay i mean how was the ownership group cuz remember everybody remembers af2 is completely different completely different than the afl when it came to money when you know there had yeah. been some names of players who had graduated so to speak to, to the you know to the uh, to the afl but what was it what was it like in green bay uh
2: well you know it was at first it was tough um we we had we had some you know we, what folks don't really know unless you were part of the front office was that we had you know uh, we went through you know I I got I got on um, in January of o three I was actually hired in December but I didn't move there till January um, I got, got hired in December o two I didn't move there till January o three and that was through my buddy Howard because um, they he was doing all the merch. His company that he was working for was doing all the merch for the, for us at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, we went through three GMs the first three months I was there. Um, the first GM that we had there um, was accused of stealing by the owner of the by the, the operator, because remember, they weren't owners, they were operators. So uh, they got an operator, of the team accused them of stealing. So then we had a, another GM and that individual didn't work out and i really don't want to talk about that that's fine um and then you know then we had a a third person uh deb was her name uh she was a good person to work for um you know it it, it was tough i mean it it really was because we really didn't have you know we had our, our logo was done by which now the 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 branding company is called Brandios out of San Diego. They were used to be called Plan B Branding.
3: Yeah, yeah,
2: um, yeah. So Brandios did did the Blizzard, the original Blizzard logo, um, and they did their colorways and the uniforms were were done by OT Sports um, out of Charlotte. And you know, we had a really good, we had really good colors. We had a real, we had a, a great, unique logo. Um, it's just, you know, it, it was a tough market because. Um, and, and the Blizzard are still, you know, the Blizzard, you know, I'm sure you're, everybody who's listening to this thing knows the Blizzard still exists. They're doing really well in the league that they're in now. Um, they're, very, they're very successful. Um, but, you know, it was really tough for us at first because, you know, there was uh, another indoor team there called the Green Bay Bombers that played at the Brown County Arena in the, you know, in a, a car, in incarnation of the IFL. And the Bombers were successful on the field, but they weren't super successful in the stands. Right. Um, You know, our franchise opener, you know, I don't think, and the thing about it is, is, like, being in a market like Green Bay, Wisconsin, you know, at that point, you had the Green Bay Post Gazette, you have the Fox station and the NBC station and a a handful of radio stations. But if you're not UWGB basketball or the Packers or, like, the pier or green bay east or west and nobody really cares about you you know i mean or st norbert for that matter um and really more so the packers uwgb and st norbert than anything else um and so here was like this little you know here's like this arena this arena football team that's playing at the rush center brand new building that literally got thrown up about a year and a half before we moved into it um before you know and the, the the green bay gamblers which is a, a junior a hockey team that plays in there um they draw like awesome they do they, they've done a phenomenal job for years there and so with, with us coming on and nobody really knowing who we are and we really didn't have that big of a pr push because we didn't have a lot of money um you know it was kind of hard for us to get known in the community you know really as much as we tried um it was it was tough. It was tough. I mean, I think our franchise opener at home. Well, so our franchise opener in oh3 is kind of our first two weeks of existence were, for me as an equipment guy, were really a pain in the butt because um, we started training camp a week early because our franchise opener was at the Hawaii Islanders. Okay. And so we left on a Thursday to go play in Hawaii on us. We left on Friday to play on Sunday and then we got to turn around. And at the end of that week, we got to go to Megan
3: <laughs>
2: to play the Knights on a Friday night. When we played on Sunday of that week in Hawaii and it was really like our, our travel was really just as uh, it was just really for It yeah. was just, Oh, I'm um, crazy. Um, so the way the way it worked back then was that, and I found out about this in 2001 before the whole, <laughs> I used to go pirating through all of the uh, the files in Markham's office, right? Right. And so Markham never threw anything away. And because he was part of the ownership, he's owner, so he was on the expansion committee and um, he had all the intel on the deuce, right? And right. so this was the year before Hawaii came on the play in Oh two. Right. So the rule was, was that if you were a Western conference team, you got, uh, you had to pay for your airfare, but you got one night accommodation, ground transportation and the peak and pregame meal, or no, you had get a gear to cover the pregame meal. But if you were, if you, you had, you had that, so you had, um, you had one day grand tra- ground transportation and one night hotel and that was paid for by the Islanders. Okay. If you were an Eastern conference team, you got two nights hotel stay all ground, and all, and you had to cover your airfare to the West coast. And then they would cover your airfare from the West coast to Honolulu. And then you had to fly out of a hub. So when you fly from green Bay and the way that they did it, they put all the team with the, most of the head coaches and Jose Jefferson, who now runs the College Gridiron Showcase, and Rod Miller, who's uh, the head coach with um, Bismarck and the IFL. Mm-hmm. They were our two coaches. So um, they and the players flew um, from Green Bay to Chicago and Chicago to San Francisco and then San Francisco to Honolulu. Myself and our trainer, and one of our coaches, flew. <laughs> we went, we went to Denver and then went to San Francisco and then to Honolulu. So we got in like eight hours after the team did. Right oh, man. So we pra- we practiced everything and we had uh, we had uh, we we get there and we hang out for the night and everything and then we go we go do our we practiced and then we practiced on Friday because we got there Thursday night so we practiced on Friday then had to walk through at the Blaisdell on Saturday and then played Sunday and then red-eyed home. So, you know, we, we start camp a week early, and I bring out, like, the bare minimum that I need for the cover of my backside. So a couple extra uniforms, a couple extra helmets, you know, pants, whatever, all of our footballs, you know, whatever. Um, and that was, man, look, of all the things I dislike about arena, of all the things I love about arena football, there's one thing any equipment manager or anybody who worked for an arena football team will tell you is that they hated the ball rule, where fans can keep the balls like baseball. It sucks.
1: I can imagine because
2: I ran out of footballs like in Tampa in two thousand one. In uh, two thousand one, who were, I can't I can't remember who we we're playing. I think we were playing either Carolina or Nashville, and we ran out of footballs during the game. Like I ran out of my allotment. And then I ran out of my practice balls. And then, kind of like the rule is the, the rule that was in the rule book was the, in the operations manual was that if you run out of footballs, you completely out. You have to you have to go to the visiting team, and they have they have to give you their practice balls. And then you have to pay them back with balls in kind, right? Right. So that's what I had a wind up doing, and so I hated that even. Now you, you you weren't supposed to keep the balls in the warmups, but nobody ever told people that, and that's what always got me in trouble. Like '92, almost got into a fight in Orlando. I got I almost got into a fight in Charlotte. I almost got into a fight in Orlando. I almost got into a fight in, uh, in Albany because people wouldn't give the damn balls back. Anyway, um,
1: I think I, at I, that you know, point, that's when, years old. I think that's when the league started making an announcement. Because I remember, I know what you're yeah. talking. I know what you're talking about.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And even so, when they made the announcements, people really didn't give a flip. Um, (laughs) In Des Moines, when I was in Milwaukee in 2000, oh God, I hated that place. God, playing in the barn was brutal. Um, But yeah. So, and then having to fly back on a red eye on Sunday after we play, get back Monday and then practice Tuesday and Wednesday, fly out Thursday to Atlanta Van down to Macon, play Friday night in Macon, go into halftime down three and wind up losing it by 35, turn around and come home. And I was like, okay, this is going to be the start of, like, something, yeah, that's not super fun. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, Jose was great to work for. He's a hell of a football coach, and so is Rod. It's just, I don't know why. It just, I, I just... I can't figure it out. I could sit here, you know, almost, you know, 17 years later and look back on like, okay, what, what happened with that team? I mean, we had Ramon Robinson, who was a pretty decent quarterback, you know, Robert Garth, um, Terry Foster, who's now the head coach, of the Jersey flight in the NAL. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, those are like, kind of like the three guys that I remember off the top. That was really the only three guys I remember. Um, mostly because I hung out with them all the time. um, But, you know, the thing is, is, like, I just can't remember, like, for the life of me, like, what happened to us in Green Bay. We just, we had a bunch of tough games. I mean, we also had some tough trips. I mean, we had a 14-, 15-hour bus ride to Wichita to play the Stealth. Um, We got drilled there. Uh, We went to Peoria. We got drilled by the Pirates. Um, You know, we put the Quad City. Quad Cities, I think, was the only game, like, Quad Cities, I mean, that was a one in 14 and one in 15 year for the blizzard that year. The only game that we won uh, was against the San Diego riptide in San Diego. Um, and we lost to the riptide. Cause if you were a West coast team and you, you came East, you had to do a home and home to balance the balance, the travel budget out. Right. Um, so San Diego came to us, they beat us. And then we go out there like a few weeks later and beat them to end the season. but, you know, we played it. We played at Cincinnati, and we were in the game at Cincinnati. And somehow, wheels kind of fell off in the third quarter. Um, we were kind of, we were in it. We were playing against Quad City at the mark, and we were kind of in it. When well, I think we were in it, and we came out in the second half and just kind of fell apart for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, Green Bay was tough. I mean, it was it was a tough season. You know, on the field for us and the stay, you know, attendance-wise, we did, we really didn't do. I mean, we probably averaged about three, three thousand in a building that seats like seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Um, First Center was beautiful, though, man. I mean, that place was gorgeous. And you know, working in Green Bay and you know, I got to go. I got to, you know, um, I got I got to go in Lambo because I knew the I met the I knew the equipment guys from the Packers through my membership in the AEMA. Uh, Brian Neering was the assistant there under red who's still there. Yeah. Um, but I got to go like, this is like right after the first renovation when they added the atrium and everything, and it was still building the hall of fame, um, there. And, and just, I got to go on the field and go to the Packers locker room. It was a really, really cool experience. But just living in green Bay period was a unique experience because, you know, after living in Milwaukee for seven, eight months, you know, and then, Two years later, you know, coming, going, you know, going up the road to, to Green Bay, and you know, seeing the, the devotion of the people to the Packers there was just a, a real amazing experience. And um, but yeah, I mean, working and working for the Blizzard, you know, the crazy thing is that, and say again, here's another inside, inside information that nobody knows. So the field that the Blizzard currently play on is the same field, if I if if this if it's true, I know the end zones are. Cause I was there when they made him. So Art Clarkson, who was operating the Tennessee Valley Vipers and at that time the Carolina Rhinos, didn't want to be part of the Rhinos anymore. He didn't want the Rhinos anymore. Right. Like they lost their lease at, at what was then the By Center in Greenville. Um and he was looking to get rid of everything. And Rod Miller was the head coach then and, and it just so happened that Rod, you know, was our ass- assistant head coach in DC and still had a, a very good relationship with Art and Lyle, who was our operator, had a good relationship with Lyle, with, uh, with Art through the, the operators group. And so we got the field, dasher pads, nets, frames, and all the equipment, I think, for like
1: 27500
2: seven five. Wow. Like $27,500 all in, because I think you just wanted to get rid of all of it. Right. Now, you got to remember, like, one of the, one of those Shaw fields when they were made brand new was like a, almost like a hundred over a hundred thousand dollars.
1: Yeah, they went by uh by uh, sport EXE or I'm trying to remember the company that used to make them, but yeah. Yeah, Sport
2: X. Yeah, Sport, yeah, sport X. X. And yeah. they were and then in so I mean Shaw's still based out of Montreal. Yeah. You know. Um but it it what happened was that so prior to the two thousand season, you know, now the league's on now the league's on TNN, right? So now I got this network deal. And the one thing that you can always say about an NFL field, that it doesn't matter where you go. All the NFL fields look the same, right. right? All the, the, all the turf. So that was kind of like the, I think the thinking behind it was like, we need to have, you know, now we've got this network television deal again. It's a new debt, you know, it's, it's a new century. It's a new decade. You know, we got this big television contract with PNN, got to make this thing look good. So going into, you know, year 14, you know, they cut a deal with SportX or Shaw. To have all the fields done, so you saw teams, except for Nashville. Nashville outright refused to give up their field because it was a home. It was a it was a home field advantage for them because all their logos were painted on. Okay, that's why that's why the cat that's why the cats were so good at home because all the logos were painted on, including the the lines like the yard lines, the hash marks, the field logos was all painted on. Oh wow! So yeah, so. Fran was like Fran, and the owner was like Billy and them, and I worked for Billy, Billy McGee. Oh God. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, the stories that Denny told me about Billy and just oh God. Anyway, I miss DP. He was a great dude. Um, but yeah, so prior to the 2000 season, so the league cuts a deal with Shaw, and now everybody gets SportX fields. So here's this Sportex field, and you know, at that point, you know, it comes to us from Greenville, and we got everything except the end zones. I don't, I don't, I don't know what ever happened to the rhinos' end zones. Somebody wound up getting them. So we had the field, but we had custom end zones made. So guys came in from Montreal, they rolled the turf out in Shopko Hall, and built the Green Bay Blizzard end zones in Shopko Hall over the course of three days. Well, you know, if you look at if you look at like what the Blizzard had done now, and you see like the logos that are in the blizzard gym zones. Mm-hmm. If you're an arena football fan, you'll recognize that word mark because that's the original green Bay blizzard wordmark. mark, right? They've never changed it. Right. Like they took the, they took the arena, they took the AFL logo out the middle of the field and put the IFL logo or the blizzard logo, or whatever is in the middle of the field there. Right. But yeah. So that field that's in green Bay now is <laughs> 20 years old. Wow. And so with the end zones. the end zones are the end zones are slightly younger than that. But, yeah. Uh, it,
1: it was. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, your stint in the AFL ended, even though you've gotten on to a, a pretty a very good career in uh, in indoor football. Um, mm hmm. Do you miss the? Do you miss being in the AFL? Do you wish you had? I mean, had you tried to get into the AFL since you left the the Blizzard in 03, or just other no. opportunities came to you that were, I guess, a better fit at that time?
2: Yeah, other opportunities kept coming up. My my life changed. Um, you know, I I met my ex wife um, after I was working in minor league basketball uh, outside of Detroit in. in Oh, four. And, uh, things didn't work out. So I, you know, moved back home to New Orleans mm-hmm. and about a couple of weeks later, I, you know, met my ex-wife and, um, moved to Miami and, you know, I was there for, with the, the mores and the IFL, um, that one year and that one, not even that full season and started working in college football. And then it just kind of, you know, went from there, you know, um, do I, the way that the league was, I mean, I had a, a buddy of mine that was the equipment guy with Columbus. You know, when, you know, uh, for a little while with the Destroyers, and mm-hmm. um, there's like part of me that kind of wishes I was part of it because it is arena football. But it was kind of, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I'm at that point. I was in a different spot. I'm like, yeah, right. I'm good where I'm at now. But, you know, if the if the league was ever to come back, and which you know, I mean, look. Tim, Realistically, when you look at it from a business perspective, I mean, it was a it was a great idea. It was started by a really, you know, by a guy who had a really uh, a really good idea to generate revenue for buildings and, and such. And you know, the thing about it is, is that you know, I, I think in today's landscape, I mean, even prior to COVID, I don't know if the Arena Football League would, would have continued to exist. If it did, it would be completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Gidry lawsuit kind of really changed things for the league going back to 2000. when you look at it from a business perspective, um, you know, the Gidry lawsuit really in the, those first eight guys that tried to form the, the players union. And I remember those meetings back in 2000, when I was in Milwaukee. Um, you know, Gary was our pro, our player rep that year. Um, you know, it was one of those things that, you know, I just I just don't know if the league would have kept going, you know. Um I know it had its ups and downs, but I always kept up with it. I mean I know you know, Rashard Carter, who, you know, played for Portland, yep. was here with us with the with the, the Havoc in, in two thousand nineteen. Um you know, and and he he left here and, and finished the season with Atlantic City for a little while. Um you know, we had we had a, a few arena. We had a, one or two guys, you know, besides Richard that um, that had AFL experience and had rings, like Mishaw Robinson, played for Jacksonville. Yep. Um, you know, now Mishaw, I think it went back to Jacksonville now in the NAL. Um You know, so and and so, uh, you know, I mean, I talked I talked with those guys, and you know, talked with my colleagues, you know, when I was the GM for the Havoc in in the NA, in the AAL you know, two years ago and, you know, even talking to Shane, you know, after he won the arena bowl as the OC of of the valor, um, the league's just, it was just different. You know, I, what I would have loved to, at some point, if the league still, if the the, the league still existed and I was still able to, yeah, I would love to go back to arena football, to the arena football league. Yeah. You know, um, Cause I think the way the talent, the level of talent that's in the game right now with, you know, the way things are going on television and they, you know, they were doing really well. Like they had a good idea, you know, when Ted Leonotsis came, Leonotsis came in, you know, with the momentum group and took over the league office and, you know, try to put a, uh, try to put a spin on it, like with the betting and everything like that and the, the app that was involved with the games and stuff like that. Um, you know, and, you know, CBS Sports Network did a great job producing the games, and, and you know, Ari Wolf is a really good guy. He's a great play-by-play guy, and, and Seth Bonner. God, I remember when he played, and he's kicked my butt a few times on the field. <laughs> um, you know, he was a great quarterback, a really good left-handed quarterback. Um, you know, and, and, you know, and ESPN did, a, did a, a pretty good job, you know, with their broadcast as well. Um I think if I think if things were different with the league their last couple of years, I think we still would have seen the league exist. And I would have liked to have been a part of that at some point. But, you know, where I am now, um, personally and professionally, uh, I kind of like where I'm at right now. I like where things are going. Sure. So, you know. And I'll I'll never close. I always say this. I never close a door. I always keep it cracked open in case to kind of kick it back open again. Yeah. But there is a chance that probably that door is going to close at some point, and another one opens up. Yeah. But you know, I mean, I I love to this day. I mean, when when a game, if I get a chance to watch a game on YouTube, I do. Um, and honestly, like. <laughs> You know, what's really, I mean, this is somewhat narcissistic of me, but, you know, I actually watched the our, our 92 game, our last game for the, with the night in Orlando just to see myself on TV and make sure that I wasn't really, <laughs> you know, like, okay, was I there, yes, I was there, I can prove it. Like, I had a pause and I showed somebody at school, it's like, you see that, that kid right there with that hat on, that Zubas hat on, that's me, Um, you know, um, <laughs> It's just I know it's narcissistic, but no, I think I think it's
1: the cool part of it. That's the thing. It's all about history. It's right now. It's the only thing that we have our stories and what people can tell us. So, uh,
2: yeah, I mean, uh, I I I, you know I love the concept of arena football of indoor football, and that's why I stayed with it. With it, you know, the bunch, the other alphabet leagues I worked in, you know, in in different in different capacities. I Mm -hmm. mean, I had the opportunity. You know, Chris McEwen. Um, who I worked for in Allen and the IFL in 2011. I mean, Chris coached for the Wranglers. He coached in the Deuce with uh, Tommy Johnson, you know, in Louisville. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also the head coach of Cincinnati with the Sting. You know, um, you know, Chris afforded me my, my first opportunity. You know, it was pretty much my, my first opportunity coaching with him, for him and Tommy in Knoxville in the in PIFL in 2012, you know, working with Chris and – um, Quinn Cairo, who was another AF2 veteran, you know, he was with Corpus Christi, he was the head coach at Corpus Christi for a little while. And, uh, he and Chris were together with, uh, the, with the Emerald Dusters and the Deuce after, you know, uh, after their IFL stint. Um, you know, and, and that's like my special team stuff that I did in Knoxville in 2012 was all of Chris's stuff from when he was with the Wranglers and, you know, prior to that. Um, you know, so uh, Chris gave me that opportunity, and and if I hadn't, if I hadn't been afforded that opportunity. You know, a couple of old arena football guys getting together and, and working together. You know, I don't think I'd be where I am right now. Um, you know, so the, I, I I love the concept. I'm a big believer in it. Um, I think it does work if it's done right. And <clears throat> excuse me. And you know, the thing about it is, is like, you know looking at it from a, a per, from from my perspective there was a lot that was done right in the AFL and in, in in the AFL in its last couple of years but there was tons that were done that was done wrong
1: we'd like to thank steve for coming on the podcast and being able to revisit his history in the arena football league and um, whether you are a head coach a player or just you know a member of the team itself um Everybody has their own integral part and everybody seems to always have their stories. If you would like to suggest somebody to be on a future episode or if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, you can email us at aflrewind at arenafan.com. If you happen to miss any of our previous episodes, uh, there are many places where you can find us. There's many, many different podcast aggregates out there, but um, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and the audio version is also available over on. So we hope to see you very soon to talk more about the Arena Football League and have the stories that go with it. So for everybody here at AFL Rewind, I'm Tim Kapper. Watch the rebound off the net.